You're listening to the Moist Boys Podcast. A couple of uh, Netflix movies that I watched this last year. Um, I did fall for the Super Bowl um, pr- promotion uh, and ended up watching the Cloverfield Paradox that night. Uh, Ooh, bad choice. That it dropped. It's. I'm not going to say it's not the dumb one of the dumbest movies that I've ever seen, <laughs> but I will say that I think the performances are all good. Like everyone is doing the best, is doing their best to sell everything that's that's happening on screen. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm always going to appreciate a chance to watch Chris O'Dowd do his thing, <laughs> even if it doesn't make sense in the movie. Uh, I think uh, Gugu and Batha Ra is is really good in everything that I've seen her in. Uh, I haven't seen her in a ton of things, but I've seen her in a few things, and she's always good. I think the the main problem with that movie is that they didn't know what they wanted it to be when they started shooting it, and they hadn't figured it out by the time they were done. And they ended up with like a 45-minute long movie, and then they had to shoot like another 40 minutes to turn it into a feature-length film. Yeah. So I th- uh, just a couple of small changes to the story. I think it could have been like, you know, a, a fun, stupid movie, but it just turned out to be a stupid, stupid movie with some good performances <laughs> and some and some goofy stuff to kind of entertain you for a while. Uh, let's see. Oh, I uh, I hadn't written it down, but I did watch. I took the Bird Box Challenge, which for me was sitting through the entirety of bird box with a blindfold on or no, uh, I should have, because I think it probably would have been more entertaining. Um, but no, I, I, that's not a good movie either. I'm not sure how it's like the most watched movie of all time or whatever they said. Yeah, it was. I've heard real mixed things about that one. Uh, the main problem is that for large chunks of the movie, nothing happens. I would say 70% of the movie takes place in a big house and it's just the characters waiting for something to happen. Like watching the trailers, you wouldn't know that John Malkovich is in it. BD Wong is in it. Um, oh, I can't think of who else is in it now, but like there's all these characters that you don't know are going to be in the movie. And you're like, Oh, what are these characters going to do? But the answer is they're not going to do anything because most of the movie, nothing happens. There's a couple like the parts that take place that you see in the trailer are interesting, but that is such a small part of the movie that it just, it's not worth putting up, up through, um, (laughs) up through that, which I had already seen the good version of that movie, uh, but I'll get into later. So watching the bad version was not, was not a fun time. I was going to say that movie wants to be a quiet place so hard. (laughs) It, It really does. Um, I played and or watched Black Mirror Bandersnatch. I can't say that it was an enjoyable experience. I mean, the the best part about it is that it's called Bandersnatch, so you can just which is just fun to say. Yeah, especially when you when you try to mash it in with Benedict Cumberbatch, so you just end it with up with like <laughs> I just end up calling it Bandersnatch Cumberdick because <laughs> you know there's not there's not a lot else to do with it. 
Um, yeah. I think, I don't think we're in, at the point where a live action choose your own adventure movie. I don't think we're there yet. Technology wise. Yeah. I think part of the problem is that the story of Bandersnatch is that you're watching Bandersnatch and doing the choose your own adventure parts. So there's no real story outside of that, which I think was like my main disconnect with it. Whereas where I'm, you know, you spend most of the chunk, most of your time watching big chunks of the movie, and then you make a decision. But then, by the time you get to the end, you're not sure what the whole thing was supposed to be about. Because hmm. there's a lot. Like, is it about free will? But that's only a small part of it. Is it about this guy losing his mother? But he, that's also only a small part of it. And like a lot of the choices you make seem arbitrary. And you get punished for making choices, not because usually in a choose your own adventure, if you do something dangerous, you know, sometimes you'll get caught in a trap or whatever. Right. But in this, if you don't make the choice that they want you to make, you'll just get put, you'll just get thrown to a disappointing ending and then given the option to go back and make the, the quote unquote right choice to continue the story the way they want you to. So. Oh, that's lazy. That's yeah. What that is. So I, I feel like, at, at that point, you know, if you're going to have that many, if you're going to have disappointing endings, you might as well just have particular endings and just give those options as opposed to having all these options, but having most of them just lead to, oh, story's over now, go back and try again. And it's like, and like with that and having a confused story that I never really felt like I was watching, like I felt like there might have been a story off to the side, but it never felt like I got to see what it was supposed to be. As a, a quick tangent on Choose Your Own Adventures, uh, my first experience with Choose Your Own Adventure books was an old Goosebumps book. Oh, and yeah. I, I immediately chose the worst possible courses of action uh, because, so I was in, I like, I snuck into somebody's house, I think, and then I like I heard noises upstairs, and it was like, do you do? I think it was like run outside, or do you go into the basement? Um, and it was like if you try to run outside, you'll probably be caught because you're like so far into the house. Uh, I was like, okay, well I'm gonna go into the basement, um, and so like go down into the basement, and it's like you think they might come down here and find you. What do you do? And it's like, do you uh, try to hide in this um, this chest, or do you try to hide somewhere else? And I was like, I'm gonna hide in the chest. And so I did that. And then what ends up happening is the chest locks when you climb inside of it and it's airtight and you die. <laughs> so I read like seven pages and killed myself. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I was like, I put down the book. I was like, I'm, I'm done with that shit. That's stupid as hell. Yeah. I have since come around on the choose your own adventure genre. And I actually, uh, if it's done well, I like it a lot. Yeah. So I think what, what makes Choose Your Own Adventures when it works is that you're existing in one world where you see different paths of it, whereas in Bandersnatch, there's completely different stories that are that you can't get to except from this one path. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. like it's like looking at a map and being like, I want to get to the grocery store, and there's only one path. Like You can't take another way to get there. If you take another street you're going to end up in an alternate universe where there is no grocery store. And so you don't feel like 
it's all connected together and you're not seeing different parts of the story. It's completely different stories. And then so if you kind of jump around to the different choices, you're just seeing bits and pieces of the different stories as opposed to a cohesive one that you can kind of connect with. From different perspectives. Yeah. Uh, so, But there was one really good Netflix movie that came out this year. Uh, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the newest Joel and Ethan Cohen film. Yeah, it, w- it was a really good one. Uh, all the performances are great. There's all the stories are hilarious and and violent. Oh. Uh, so it's uh, six kind of short stories that kind of have a unifying theme of being set in the Old West and kind of about life or death, which is kind of the the Cohen brothers, the whole the, their whole deal. I mean, if you have to be sold on a movie beyond it being a Coen brothers, then, you know, you're probably not going to be a big fan of it, but, um, yeah. Uh, Tim Blake Nelson is a national treasure and his performance is, is, is really amazing. in this, um, and you know, like every other Coen brothers movie, they get really good performances out of everybody. They have really good scripts that are, are incredibly unique and stories that y- you don't feel like just anybody could, put onto the page and make these com- really bizarre things work as well as they do. Plus it got turned into a meme like immediately. I don't think I saw that one. No. Uh, it's basically, it's the the scene of James Franco in the news looking over at the other guy and being like, first time. Um, and then every, so every post of it is like something, somebody had like a terrible day, blah, blah, blah. And like it involving something. And then, like the response to it just being first time. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I would say that was probably the hardest of the stories to watch just because I despise all things James Franco. <laughs> and by association, I'm not a big fan of Dave Franco usually either. Um, but I will say like watching James Franco pretty much get murdered like four times in a row is, is a little, uh, is a little appealing. So, Oh, oh, and Stephen Root, the always. He, I don't think he's ever turned in a bad performance. I've everything I've ever seen him in. He's just he's one of those people that just puts one hundred and ten percent. Um, so yeah, that's all my Netflix stuff. I've I've watched things on Netflix. Uh, as far as movies go, so I just watched. I was trying to do this thing where I just like I watched a movie every night. Um that was from 2018 kind of to prep for this, uh, ended up not working out super well, but, uh, I watched, um, flavors of youth. I believe it's called. Is that, that's the, Uh, that's the anime with the different foods, right? So it's, it's not all about food. Um, it's actually only the, the first story is about food, but it's, uh, three separate stories, um, that take place in, uh, different parts of China, actually. Um, and it was kind of, a, it's sort of a big deal that it's a, a collaborative um, venture from both the Chinese and like Japanese companies coming together to to create this movie. And so it's uh, the first story, but it's all like stories. It's very like personal kind of um, stories about these, these people and these things that are going on in their lives, um, usually just about getting older and what that, really means for them 
the first story is about a guy who grew up in a small town and he really fell in love with this noodle shop that uh, was by his house that his grandma um, would always get him noodles in the, in, in the morning um, and they would eat them and that would be his breakfast and then that changed and that shop went away uh, and then when he was going to school he found another a noodle shop that he would go and he would eat noodles from that shop and the, the main one of the main things that he liked about eating noodles from that shop as well is that uh, the girl that he had a crush on would like ride her bike past every morning to go to school. And so he would just get like that, that brief moment of watching her go by while he was eating his noodles. Um, and, uh, the, the character in this story is, uh, voiced and so narrated, uh, by Crispin Freeman, who, if you've watched a lot of anime, uh, you've definitely seen something with him in it. And, he gives what I can only describe as like the softest performance I think I've ever heard him give. Uh, Cause usually he's just one of those guys that has that like a really deep voice. And so he usually has this really like gruff animalistic thing that he does with this voice that works really well. Um, but he also has the ability to have his voice be very smooth. Um, and he, it's really kills it within this performance and you really feel for this guy for the fact that like all of these things are changing around him um i don't necessarily want to go into spoilers but uh by the end of it he's just like really he goes back to a noodle shop and and sees how the town has changed um and just kind of like it's kind of a, a sense of like a constant in his life because with the town that he's in that he's living in and working in now he goes to, to shops to get noodles and it's all like machine pressed stuff it's not necessarily like chain restaurants but it's places that can't they don't take the time to make the stuff themselves and so he's he's losing that aspect of like what was there in his youth that was always a constant and so when he goes back home and goes to another small shop and just kind of like takes it in and kind of brings him back to that a little bit um and so i liked i liked that one a lot uh the second story was about um a model who is kind of potentially at the tail end of her career because she's just getting older and kind of everything that goes along with that, seeing these, these young girls coming in and kind of all of the obligatory, like underhanded, like, Oh, I've been, I've been following your career for so long, uh, kind of stuff that I'm sure definitely does happen in, in those careers that is like that sounded like a compliment, but at the same time, you're telling me that my time is basically up. Yeah. Um, and kind of dealing with that and what she's going to do. Is she going to, is she going to stop? Is she going to keep going? Is she going to try to make like, kind of do like a comeback thing? Um, and whatever she, and she's living with, uh, her younger sister, uh, because I, uh, if I remember correctly, like their, their parents died. And so her sister, she had, she took in her sister. And so like their relationship, uh, it's kind of a, a part of it as well. Evan Rachel Wood is actually the the main person in that story, which I thought was like a very, I don't know how much voice over work she's done, 
Uh, but I was really surprised to see her attached to it because everybody else that I that I saw in there was all like kind of uh, along the Crispin Freeman line of people. It was like, oh yeah, you do a lot of voice acting work. This is kind of your thing. Whereas like getting Evan Rachel Wood to be in it almost seems like a I don't want to use the word legitimize, but kind of seems like a big deal to get somebody who's not necessarily known for voice acting. Maybe, yeah. Um, um, and then the third story is about uh, a guy who moved to just like a different part of town so he could get a job and he was going to school and uh, got this, like him and his best friend were moving him into an, his new apartment. He finds this cassette tape and it's a, a tape that um, a friend of his made when they were kids. Um, and what they would do is they would, they would pass these tapes back and forth basically um, where they would record like essentially a conversation. And so they would record one part of the conversation and then they would give the tape to the other person. And so like he would, he would record like questions um, and then he would give the tape to the girl and she would record like her answers and then ask him questions back and they would record and back and forth like that. So they were having these conversations just like, over this cassette tape um so he finds it and he has to go uh and like run to his his grandma's apartment to find the cassette player again so they can listen to it because he never listened to it when he was a kid and then they kind of went their separate ways i think it's it's an enjoyable movie it's not super long it's like an hour and 15 minutes or something like that uh, it's just three short films i definitely would say that i recommend it it's not like a I didn't have like a really strong emotional reaction to it, but I did find it enjoyable. That being said, I know that I'm sure people will have strong emotional reactions to some of it. People will kind of just feel like, oh, none of this really applies to me in the way that my life went. So I don't really, I don't really see it. Um, the third one I didn't super connect with cause it was just like that. Oh, why didn't I just do this when I was younger? Why didn't I just, say something to this person um uh, very much uh, a lot of animes and stuff that i've seen deal a lot with the like the aspect of trying to live with no regrets and if you can go back would you go back or uh trying to fix something and um and it's, it doesn't have anything to actually do with time travel it's actually all of these are very like real world things that people could be dealing with. Uh, so, um, but I definitely liked it a lot. And, uh, another one that I started watching and it just got too late. So I, I had to turn it off. Um, and haven't gone back to yet, uh, was, uh, Mary and the witch's flower. Oh yeah. I saw that. Uh, that was one of the ones that I actually saw in theaters at, uh, through, uh, the fathom events that, They've been running the last couple of years. They've actually been doing a lot of uh, anime, which is kind of cool. Being able to watch movies that you don't normally get to see on the big screen is pretty. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm a little more than half. I, th- I think I'm about an hour into that one. So there's only like another forty minutes or so. Um, but I've, I'm at the point where she has just gone home from the first time being at the school. Now we're not sure if the people at the school are like have insidious uh, intentions or not. So I'm kind of interested to finish that one and see how that one ends. Yeah. So I think so. That one was made by Studio Panak, which is kind of the 
unofficial successor to Studio Ghibli. And I think the thing that they're able to the thing that they're able to nail really well is kind of the spirit that the Studio Ghibli movies had. Uh, if not necessarily the kind of depth of 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 the stories because with uh, Miyazaki kind of living through World War II and a lot of his stories being right he was I believe so I don't remember off the top of my head right now though yeah because it seems like most of his movies are kind of allegories to his childhood growing up if not during then immediately after and kind of during the the rebuilding of Japan after the war yeah so I think you know there's some of that isn't necessarily present with the with these newer films but with Mary and the Witch's Flower you definitely get that same that same kind of spirit of I don't know how to put it but just the kind of like you get the same feeling I guess watching it that you do with a Studio Ghibli movie yeah just the the sense of uh, whimsy that they inject into it yeah uh, which I'm, I'm pretty sure I, w- I was reading um, I, almost everybody that worked on this movie is like former studio Ghibli artists or writers or, or at least the, the director of the film I know was a studio Ghibli alum, I guess is the word I'm looking for. Yeah. And I think he's the, like the, the head executive of, of the studio as well. So I think the work that he did there kind of shaped their style that they're going to be using going forward. I actually saw they have a new, collection of short films that I saw this last weekend called Modest Heroes. And there's some there's some really good stuff in there, but it has it has the same energy. Was that from this new studio? Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought that was a Ghibli one. No, those these are three new short films. Oh, okay. Uh the thing that I noticed watching these that I I noticed in Ghibli movies is that you don't you never see the end of the story. Like, because you'll watch the movie, and then the credits will roll, and then after the credits, like, you'll see that the that the story is still happening. It's just one of the things I noticed that I think is is pretty cool is that, you know, you'll get to the end of the of the, of the film, and it's like a, a point where you feel satisfied with the story, but then you always know that the story is going to continue, continue on. Past what you've seen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I don't think they've ever done any sequels, have they? Like maybe some recurring characters, but not like a direct sequel, which I yeah, which I, I appreciate because those characters just get to live in that world and continue on and you don't get kind of locked down to any particular. Yeah, I think that for the most part, they try to just keep whatever story they've done, just its own little thing. And then that way... Uh, Sometimes I, sometimes I feel like when, when you do get into a sequel, the continuation can be such a far cry from what the original it seems like it intended. Yeah. Uh, so on that Studio Ghibli, well, throughout 2017 and 2018, they were actually re-airing a lot of uh, the Studio Ghibli movies in theaters. So I watched, um, I've seen Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service, and then... Last year, I ended up watching Ponyo on the big screen, and uh, oh, it's a uh, Princess Mononoke. It took me a long time to get 
to actually see Studio Ghibli movies, but I'm actually glad that I was able to watch them for the first time on the big screen because with the art style and just the experience of being able to see it in like an immersive way on the big screen, I think was is pretty nice. Yeah. Um, Heather and I actually got to see Ponyo uh, when it was first initially released through theaters. We actually got to go see it in the theater, um, which I feel like is the first, I may, I might be wrong about this, but I feel like it was the first Ghibli movie that had like a wide release through theaters. Or if not, it was the first one that I remember seeing. And I like that movie a lot. That movie is like that one. And, uh, Kiki's Delivery Service and My Neighbor Totoro are just like some of the coziest movies. That's the other one I saw. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, if you just like, if it's just a, a shit day outside, just grab some blankets, curl up on the sofa and watch any of those movies and just have a just nice cozy time. And like, I don't know. I just like them so much. Oh, the thing that I, I liked about the, the Fathom events that they did though, was that you could choose either the dubbed version or the subtitled version. Uh, oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, so when I, when I was able to, I always went with the subtitled version because I think that the the Japanese actors are able to do a better job matching what's happening on screen. Like with Princess Mononoke, I ended up watching the dubbed version. And Billy Bob Thornton's a good actor, but it just doesn't... Like how much they have to say in the compressed amount of time, they have to match a different energy and, and, and talking speed. Yeah. So it, it, it's usually really, really condensed and, and packed together. So, uh, whenever I get a chance, I, I try to get to the, uh, the subtitle version. Uh, I did see another anime in theaters last year. Um, it was called fireworks and it's about, a guy who's in either he's like end of middle school or in uh, beginning of high school. And he meets this girl that finds some sort of glass bead in an ocean. And then it's kind of there whenever there's like a frequency that this thing, like it'll ping against something and it'll be a frequency and he'll get like sucked back in time and relive certain moments over again it's it's pretty interesting as as the story progresses you kind of learn more and more about what's actually happening in the story (laughs) so um i've been trying to get recently into more anime stuff but the stuff that i prefer is the more is less the like post-apocalyptic actiony stuff and more of the well like the studio ghibli kind of slice of life stuff that I've been seeing around here more and more often. So yeah, yeah, that's the kind of stuff that I find interesting and definitely like anytime I see one of the like flowing rivers, I'm like, man, I want to go to Japan and actually see some of that stuff in real life and see what (laughs) kind of inspired all these artists. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I've, I've watched such a weird range of anime over the years now at this point, uh, because everything, everything that I was kind of doing for a while was that uh, futuristic post-apocalyptic or alternate kind of reality thing. Uh, and I've gotten so much into just like everyday slice of life or, um, 
historical fiction I've been into a lot lately as well. A show that I, I really enjoy um, that is, is technically a sci-fi show, uh, but it's presented in, in a very like kind of slice of life way. Uh, it's called Orange. And it's basically about this group of friends who are in school. And uh, the main girl at the end of the first episode, I think it's the end of the first episode, um, she gets this letter that is from herself in the future that is basically just like, hey, I know this sounds crazy, but this this uh, this kid that just moved to our school, you need to stop him from killing himself at the end of summer. And then she keeps getting these letters. And so it's basically like future her. And you keep getting little flashes of like future her and the life that she has. That's really the only like sci-fi element to it is that she's getting these letters from her future self about like, this is a thing that happened in class this day. And I made this decision and I really wish I had done something else because I know that this decision is what led us on the path to the timeline that I am in now. Yeah. I like the way that it deals with time travel and also that it's not a, please, you have to do this to fix my timeline. It's, I know my timeline will never be changed. Maybe I can change yours, which I feel like a lot of time travel stuff doesn't do. It does it so that the world will be fixed by the end of it. Yeah. Um, So I thought that was a really interesting take on the sci-fi element, the the time travel element. Um, And then the, the way that the time travel is even implemented isn't in a, a like, science way it's in a like to a place where they they've heard that like oh you can make a wish and you can make this thing happen and so they're taking their letters there and it's not in like a we have this machine that we can we can send something into the past and i was like oh this is a a much different take on time travel than i've ever really seen and uh that was one that i have i have a weird time um so i i do enjoy dubbed anime as long as the voice actors in it are good or if what is happening on screen is just way too busy for me to be reading while it's happening. Oh yeah. That makes sense. Um, this is not one of those shows. You can, you can read it and completely get catch everything that's going on. And, uh, I, what I really liked about, um, just the kind of the world immersion that they end up doing in that show too, is that being in a school, you, you're surrounded by all these other kids who are passing by and having their own conversations. And so uh, what they would end up doing is they would have, they would have the actors who were playing these small like background characters just come in and they would have them read, like they would just have them just throw like the middle of a sentence and they would just throw that middle of a sentence in the, in the, like the main, the main subtitles would be going across the bottom where the, the main characters are all talking. And then um, at the top of the screen, you would have the background characters, like conversations kind of getting interjected in because as they're passing, like when people pass by, you kind of hear those little sentences. Yeah. Um, and so it was a really, a really cool thing that they, that they did every once in a while where I was like, Oh man, that is extremely realistic in the sense of like, you just get that one sentence of this, these characters walking by and you're kind of like, man, I wonder what that conversation was about. Yeah but you don't get to know because that's not who you're following. 
but uh yeah i i highly recommend that show if you can find it i it's on it's on crunchyroll you can just sign up for a free thing and watch it with commercials and it's that's how i've watched a ton of anime recently so i've got a list of all the movies that i saw in the theaters this year so i'm just gonna go through some of these some of them i want to kind of get in more in depth um, because i know that we've both seen them um uh, in 2018, I saw The Post with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep. Uh, I would say that's a well-made, boring movie. <laughs> um, there, there's nothing I've that never you can heard of that one. It's uh, it's about the Pentagon Papers, and I can't remember the year off the top of my head, but it's about whether or not the Washington Post should publish these papers saying that the Vietnam War is is going poorly and and nothing's going right in there. You know, Steven Spielberg, so it's going to be well-made, but it's definitely something that he just uh, threw off in a couple of months. And you can kind of tell that by the fact that it's kind of unfocused and not particularly uh, a gripping film, even though there's nothing really in particular. The performances are mostly good. There's a lot of cameos, David Cross, Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, those are the two off the top of my head. Uh, that I can think of, but yeah, uh, not particularly interesting. Uh, then I saw Call Me By Your Name with uh, Timothy Chalamet and Army Hammer. It's hard to kind of critique more independent dramas because they all kind of have like the same level of, of there's like that a high quality movie, but you know, it just either resonates with you or not. Um, yeah. So for me, this one this one did um then i saw annihilation with natalie portman directed by alex garland who did ex machina which i think is is a really good sci-fi movie i think it's either on hulu or netflix right now so you can watch it on there i would definitely recommend catching that uh i went i went and saw tomb raider which is pretty much just the cutscenes from the first tomb raider video game except you don't actually get to play in between. The first half is good when you're getting the character stuff, but then by the when it gets into the the second half is just a one long extended action slash puzzle solving sequence. Uh, so it kind of falls apart there. Um, As a real quick, that franchise to me just exemplifies the like, please stop trying to make this a movie. Yeah. Make the game as, as cinematic as you want because you can make that work. The gameplay is what makes that game, not the cinematic aspect of it. Whereas I feel like once we get to the point of having a Metal Gear Solid movie, because those games have such a heavy cinematic aspect, I think that'll be much more of an easier transition. Yeah. But watching somebody puzzle solve in a movie versus actually solving the puzzles yourself just does not translate properly to me. Yeah, especially since most of the like cutscenes and story in, in the Tomb Raider games are just to get you from one place to the next and kind of give you information about where you're going to be going next in the in the playthrough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, the, but like the character stuff at the beginning is fine, but once she actually gets to the island, everything starts it just falls apart and becomes completely uninteresting. Uh, so like I had mentioned earlier with Bird Box, I saw A Quiet Place, which was one of the more effective 
movies that I saw in theaters. Definitely a good theater film, particularly when you have a, a an audience that plays along and is actually quiet. Uh, because so much of the movie, there's no sound at all. It's it's a really tense film. Uh, I would also recommend that one. Uh, I saw Deadpool 2, which is pretty much just the first Deadpool. Again, same jokes, kind of same action sequences. It wasn't bad, but it was kind of seemed unnecessary. And you could tell they just made it because the first one made a lot of money. Yeah. Uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, which has some of the best action scenes that I've ever seen it was uh, it was really I had a good time with it even though the villain kind of doesn't really work at all as far as who they got to play the villain and what the villain's backstory is but definitely it's definitely a fun a fun action movie with some really incredible action scenes Uh, I saw Sorry to Bother You which is kind of an absurdist. I don't even know how to explain it. It's one of those movies that kind of defies explanation. Um, it's about a guy that gets a job at a telemarketing place and uh, he has to kind of start selling himself as something that he isn't to kind of get ahead in the world. And that one is actually also on, I think it's on Hulu. So if you have Hulu, you can watch Sorry to Bother You. Um I enjoyed that one. There's a lot of weird stuff. So if you, it's one of those ones where you either have to buy into the bizarreness of it or it's not going to work for you. Uh, I saw The Little Stranger with Donald Gleason. If you like British ghost stories, I think you'll like this one. Uh, I I do enjoy British ghost movie or ghost stories, so I, I did enjoy it. I saw First Man with Ryan Gosling, which I think was, is... On a technical level, it's a very good movie, even though the story kind of left me uh, kind of cold. So I don't know if it would be worth seeing not in IMAX, where you have the full IMAX range. Uh, particularly when he get when they um, show the moon landing. Spoiler alert: we get to the moon. Um, but yeah, the, the also sh- that movie hates America. Yeah, which is is funny because when you see the memes of like. There are literally like a million American flags in the movie, except for the one part where everyone was really upset about. So yeah, like on a technical level, I think it was very good. The way that they shot the space scenes was really terrifying because most, you know, there were no, I don't think there is a single shot of the, of the space missions from outside the space module. So you're seeing everything from the character's perspective. So like, Anytime they were shooting off into space, you're just thinking like, why is why are they doing this? This this is a, a terrible a terrible thing. <laughs> so in that way, it was it was effective. But like as far as like the characters in the story, I it was it didn't really grab me in the same way that the the technical parts did. Uh, I saw Bad Times at the El Royale with uh, Jeff Bridges, John Hamm, Chris Hemsworth. Uh, Dakota Johnson's also in it. It's kind of a, it's like a, a, a B movie cult film. From what I've heard, if you didn't like it the first time, you should see it a second time. I will say it, it just didn't, just didn't land with me. Uh, Jeff Bridges gives a really good performance in it though. Didn't work for me as well as it seemed for, for other people, but it might be one of those movies that have to revisit 
at some point later. I saw Venom, which is like the most 2003 superhero movie or comic book movie that I saw this year, where just everything, all every decision they made is just completely makes no sense story-wise or like making trying to make a good movie. Like electric guitars where there shouldn't be electric guitars and just it it's really bad. I also saw A Star is Born with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. Uh she gives a really good performance. Sam Elliott gives a really good performance. I think outside of that everything else is kind of is fine. I think it's a little bit too long. There could they could have trimmed some of it down and made it into a tighter story. I probably would have liked it a little bit better, but there's some stuff that they just go back to like two or three times that I don't think they needed to. Uh, I saw Overlord, a little like World War II zombie movie. It's essentially Wolfenstein, but without the without the branding on top of it. I think it's a it's a good uh, hour and a half long kind of bloody action movie that I I had a good enough time in. Um, let's see, I saw Bumblebee, which I posted a review of. Uh, easily the best Transformers movie, and if you ever wanted, if you ever wanted a Transformers movie, but were severely disappointed in the first, did they do five? I think. Wait, did they do? Yeah, they did. Because last night came out. Yeah. Oh God, there's five of those. Yeah. Um. Hopefully, this is the this is kind of the beginning of the. Re- if there's any series that needs a reboot, I think this is one that that deserves it, and I think this was a good a good starting point. Um. I saw Aquaman. I almost feel like uh, I almost feel like Bumblebee was like a test balloon to see if they could reboot the series. Yeah, I really hope they keep going in this direction because it's it's so much better than the Bayverse that he created. Uh, I saw also Aquaman, which is the most two thousand five. This is the the most two thousand five pre Batman Begins comic book movie. We're just Again, every decision that they seemed to make just made no sense as far as trying to make a good movie. From the octopus playing the drums, which apparently is a <laughs> is from the comics, but like it just doesn't work in a film. So is Astro the Wonder Dog. Doesn't need doesn't mean he needs to be on a film anytime soon. Yeah, I mean when you start your also, mo- oh, so I was gonna say also it's a real quick. Uh, Aquaman just surpassed um, global box office of uh, The Dark Knight. Yeah, I saw that. Uh, I wish we would get to a point where the box office didn't determine how good a movie was because that's almost never the case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Aquaman right, it big, starts right off with a character going outside into a, a windstorm with branches and stuff like completely battering the side of his house. And he straps open the shutters on his windows. So that's the kind of attention to detail that the filmmakers had. Where I was just like, no, the shutters are to protect the windows from the storms. Like, that's what... There's a functional... They're not just for looks. But... Just claps them down. It's like, well, now these won't clap against the side of my house, waking me up in the middle of the night anymore. Yeah, so that's... I mean, that's a... That's a small quibble, but it's kind of like is it's indicative of what the film kind of does throughout it. So there's one really effective scene. Um, you've probably seen in the trailer where 
there's like weird fish monsters attacking them and they jump into the ocean. I feel like that's the one time where I felt like all of the filmmaking team had actually came together into a vision that actually made sense in the movie. So I did I like appreciate that scene, but it only lasted like two or three minutes and then it was just if you like big loud action scenes, then you'll appreciate it, but like I need a story that makes sense and this movie barely has a story at all. So I didn't I didn't enjoy it. Um and then I saw Vice with Christian Bale, which is probably the the performance of of the decade because he just he literally became Dick Cheney. And it was it was quite something to see. So I was having uh, this is a movie that I was having a conversation with Heather about. He obviously he put on the weight. Did they prosthetic him in any way to change his face? Because he looks exactly like Dick Cheney. I haven't heard that they did. The only thing that I know that they did was thin out his hair to give him the Dick Cheney hair. Okay. But other than that, I don't think they actually, I don't think they did. Like, not that I've heard. Yeah, because I hadn't heard anything either. So it's just like one of those weird things where it's like, when Batman gets fat, he just immediately looks like Dick Cheney. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. They're probably kind of, they probably end up being the same, same person. So, yeah. Um, just, that is a, that is a horrible curse to have for yeah. Christian Bale. <laughs> But even even outside of like just doing like the physical transformation that he's done for other parts, uh, his performance is is really good in that. Amy Adams is really good as as his wife. Uh, Sam Rockwell is as as good as always as uh, George W. And I'm trying to remember off the top of my head who plays Rumsfeld in that one. I'm pretty sure that's Steve Carell, which is the only distracting role in the movie because every time he's on screen you just see Steve Carell. Yeah. Other than the performance by Christian Bale, I think it's it's a pretty good movie that if you're at all interested in in that era of of history of the early 2000s slash from when he was growing up in the early 60s, it's it's worth it's worth a watch. Um so the ones that I had saved I had saved uh for a more in-depth conversation, maybe not super in-depth, but uh, kind of going in more because I know that we've both seen them. Uh, so the first one was Black Panther that came out almost a year ago now. To me, I think it was a, a, a good Ryan Coogler movie that was kind of handcuffed by the the Marvel machine, particularly when it came to like the last probably 40 minutes or so when I slowly lost more and more interest as, as time went on. Did you, did you not care for the armor rhinos? I liked it when I saw them at the beginning, but I, I just feel like it turned into such, and especially I think, I don't know if they had like cheaped out on the CGI or if like all the A, the A team had was working on uh, infinity war at the time, but like, there's a lot of really bad looking CGI in there that kept distracting me from what I was supposed to be looking at. Yeah. The, 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 the rhinos did not look top notch. No. And then also the, the black Panther and, uh, Michael B. Jordan, their like CGI models looked really stretch Armstrong 
when they're like falling down into the cavern. Yeah, I remember that not looking super great. But I would say like everything leading up until spoiler alert, Black Panther comes back from the dead was really good. But then like after that, it just turned into a when it just turns into a big CGI mess, I think kind of fell apart. Also, I feel like in one draft of the script, Martin Martin Freeman was supposed to die because they kept like he was like 15 minutes past the point where he was supposed to be blown to pieces before he got out of that like VR thing that he was flying around in. Yeah, they kept stretching that further and further. Yeah, it kind of like, just seemed like all right, what what do you want to happen here? Cuz they kept like they were setting up like oh he's going to sacrifice himself so he can save the world. But then they also wanted him to be in the sequel, so it's like they wanted to have their cake and eat it too and it just didn't really that didn't really work. Had they done that where he ended up sacrificing himself to do anything of great importance within the film would have been a complete detriment also just in the fact of your first African like superhero movie ends up having the day saved by the one fucking white guy. Yeah. I mean, so they, they should have just given that to like Shuri or whatever, because like giving it to him, but then actually making it not matter at all or cause he does like, I don't know. He, he does support. He's uh, he's air support, and basically that's all he does. Yeah. So I feel like th- if they hadn't made it seem like he was going to, like, they kept pushing and pushing that he was going to, oh, he's going to sacrifice himself to make sure that these weapons don't escape, but then he just, like, blows it up, and then he just kind of walks out, and then the scene ends. Yeah. Um, But I think Michael B. Jordan gives a really good performance. The other thing that I want the Marvel movies to stop doing too is blowing up South Korea and then just walking away like it doesn't matter. Or like Poor Korea, because they like they did it in Ultron, they did it in this one, um, not South Korea, but then they go to South Africa and blow up South Africa, and then they're just like, oh, Tony Stark throws some money at it, so it's fine. I think overall it's a fine movie, but I just I feel like that like the Marvel machine this ham this hamstrung them a little bit too much in a way that you don't see that we'll kind of talk about kind of being able to stretch your creativity out later yeah so the other one that i know we both saw was uh infinity war obviously um both of which are on netflix right now so there's no reason uh, if you don't if you want to see him and you, you have netflix then there's no reason to have not seen those so i think yeah i just uh i just rewatched this movie a couple weeks ago and God damn, it holds up so well. I think, yeah, you know, obviously with a movie this big, there's going to be some parts that work better than other parts. But I think for me, for the last few years, I think I, I've become, I was getting less and less interested in the Marvel experiment that they've been doing probably since, what came out first, Iron Man 3 or The Winter Soldier? Um, I think Iron Man came um, out first. I think so. I think that was 2013, and then Winter Soldier was 2014. Because I want to say, dang, okay, let me let me just uh, Iron Man three was uh, 2013, and 
was 2014. Yeah. So Iron Man three was the first one. Okay. Um, so yeah, after winter soldier, I think there was a, a big stretch of the Marvel movies where I was just, I was watching them, but I didn't, wasn't, I was kind of doing it just out of obligation, not necessarily because I was excited about where the movies were going. Because mm-hmm. there, there was a string of, of kind of, of bad ones there for a while. Between like Age of Ultron was just, I didn't like that movie at all. There was, there was a lot of bad stuff in there. Age of Ultron is a perfect example of a director not wanting his job anymore. Yeah. And so he just decided that, well, I'm just going to direct this movie and I'm, I'm not going to share my toys. These are my toys and I'm going <laughs> to play with them the way I want to. And then you had like Ant-Man came out, which I didn't care about. Um, Doctor Strange, which for the most part was, I didn't care about it. What else came out around that time? Um, let's see. After those ones, uh, we had um, Civil War. Yeah, that was... I wanted to like that a lot more than I ended up liking it, but I feel like the problem with that movie is that all of the characters' motivations were kept secret until the last 15 minutes of the movie. So all you had were characters doing things. You didn't know why they were doing it. And like keeping it a secret didn't improve the movies at all, the movie at all. And it didn't add to the mystery. It just kind of left you confused about why anyone was doing what they were doing. Like the airport fight scene had some fun moments, but like outside of that, you really don't see people talking about that movie outside of like that scene and maybe the fight at the end between Captain America and Iron Man. Yeah, out of the the three Captain America movies, I think Winter Soldier is still my favorite. I didn't really have a uh, a lot of people had a, a weird problem with uh, Zemo in Civil War that I definitely did not have um, because at the end of the day, he accomplished what he set out to do, and all he set out to do was to create a schism within the Avengers. Yeah. And so even even though at the end of that movie he is caught, he accomplished his mission. Um so I feel like everybody talks about how Infinity War is the first movie where the bad guy wins. It's like not really Civil War has the bad guy win, just not in the most like obvious way. I think I would have liked it more if they had if the movie had started off with him and like, you know, flashing back to him losing his family or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then you see him going through his plans. Do you know why he's doing it? But you don't know what his plan is. And that can be the twist instead of having like three or four twists. Because they stack like five twists at the at the very end of that movie. A little bit, yeah. Because like you find out his family was killed in Europe, or whatever the country is called. Sokovia. Yeah, like his family dies. His plan isn't what you think it is. The Winter Soldier killed Tony Stark's parents. And it's just like they keep like throwing it's just like after a while you just become exhausted about like all these things where if you had learned it, it wouldn't have altered the story. You just would have known why everyone was doing what they were doing. Yeah. Also a a quick pet 
peeve of mine. Uh, let me just do a quick search here of where um, Civil War came out. Civil War was 2016. And Guardians 2. Guardians of the Galaxy. Come on, give me, give me it back. That uh, was 2017. I'm pretty sure I saw... Trying to think of how the order I watched them. I'm pretty sure I watched Guardians after Civil War, um, but I watched both of those after I watched Batman versus Superman. So for me, there were three superhero movies in a row where the catalyst for something happening was my mom, <laughs> and I'm really glad that. I have not seen that creep into movies again since then. Yeah. Because the one that it made the least sense for me was in civil war because Bucky kills both of his parents at the same time. But Tony's like fixation on, he killed my mom. I have to beat him up now. It's like, well, he killed your dad too. I know your relationship was a bit rocky, but like he literally killed them both at the same time. Yeah, And like, why? why the weird call out specifically about the mom thing. He was also like brainwashed, which was my, which, yeah. which his, his retort to that. I don't care. It's like, okay, Tony, I think you've officially become the bad guy now. Yeah. And then with guardians Two, the Peter being completely accepting of his new planet dad until it turns out that spoiler alert. I don't know if, uh, at this point but whatever um spoiler alert planet dad gave mom cancer and so that's what turns peter against him is you killed my mom yeah like, I th- fucking i i can't i just can't anymore <laughs> with the you killed my mom in movies i think of those three the guardians of the galaxy is the, is the better film um my my issue with the with the guardians movies is again the marvel the marvel machine having to have certain things so having to end each movie with a billion tiny flying crap that you don't give a shit about and explosions everywhere distracting from any kind of story that's happening like you cut out all that gold people crap and you cut out i guess that was it but like i can't remember what those people were called but you, yeah, I don't remember. You take those people out, like the movie, it's not a different movie. It's the same movie, but it's not as boring because there isn't just a big wall of ugly CGI hitting you in the face. Yeah, I did not like Guardians 2. So much of that movie did not work for me. And I think it was that it didn't feel like the fun space romp that the first movie felt like. It felt like people like that we had jokes in space so let's make jokes in space too electric boogaloo yeah which is kind of the same problem that deadpool 2 had where they didn't necessarily have a reason for there to be another movie but they just had to make one because otherwise people would forget and they wouldn't have as many ticket sales yeah um the part that i found myself just sitting through and just really waiting for it to be over was the the first initial taser face interaction with Rocket, where this was uh, something I was talking to my friend about, where like that scene would have worked so much better 
if only Rocket was the one who found it hilarious. Oh, uh, the, the whole sequence where they have to get out of that ship was not very interesting. Yeah. Um, but the fact that they keep, like, the movie thinks that him being named Taserface is way funnier than him being named Taserface actually is. So constantly calling back to that with every time he introduces himself, people just laughing at his name or snickering at his name. It's like, you need to move past it. You got one scene and even that was too much because by the time the entire ship is laughing at the dude, I was like, I don't know. Just, just literally no. Yeah. I think that that's, that is also um, in Aquaman where you have something happens there's a long pause, big reaction from the people inside the movie. And every time it bugs the shit out of me because it's supposed to be a laugh moment, but it's just, I don't know. I hate it. Or when you have the character be like, something happens and the character's like, that was, and there's a big long pause. And you're like, yeah, we know what's going to happen. Everybody knows what's going to happen. And then they say, awesome. And you're like, yeah, we knew. We knew that's where this was going. <laughs> yeah like it's never a surprise it's never funny but people keep using that thing where there's that big long pause where you're like what are they gonna say but we all know what they're gonna say yeah so this diatribe aside uh infinity war yeah infinity war. Movie. <laughs> uh i would say i probably liked homecoming and thor ragnarok more as a movie but i think this is the first time I'm actually interested or looking forward to the series going forward. So I think in that way it was very successful because I, th I think without infinity war, I would not be interested in watching. I wouldn't be nearly as interested in seeing um, captain Marvel, but seeing how they're going to tie those together. It's what's going to make me interested in seeing that. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, I feel like every, with with the recent rewatch that I just did for Infinity War, I was like, there's not a moment in this movie that I feel like lingers too long. Uh, it all flows really well to me. I think the, my biggest, well, two of my biggest issues is one is within the the universe, the cinematic Marvel universe overall is that there are a lot of like really ugly shots in it. Um, the one that jumped out to me the most is when everyone first meets in Dr. Strange's, um, what's that called? Um, the, in the sanctum sanctorum. Yeah. So like they're having that. And when it switches from that, to like the handheld, like the, just the quality of the, of the image was so jarring because it goes from like, because a lot of those are really shot like a sitcom where like it, the lighting is all flat and, and like the shots are really static. So mm -hmm. like when it switched to that, to like the handheld of them going out onto the street and seeing the alien invasion, I was like, see, this is a real movie. Like uh, that would, it, it happened a couple of times where it was kind of jarring where I was like, oh, it goes from this like flat sitcom shot to like an actual cinematic, cinematic moment. Yeah. Um, and then my other complaint is that Tom Holland is too good <laughs> of an actor and he like <laughs> that, that, that was too real. 
that was it yeah. was un- unnecessarily real for a, a, a big action blockbuster. Yeah, that was one of those things. Like, um, so I I kind of had the end of the movie spoiled for me a little bit just due to um, the Instagram like uh, explore page. And so when I found out, like, it was one of those things. Was like fun fact about Marvel Universe, and it was like Tom Holland uh, ad libbed the "I don't want to go" line, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" Well, now I know what's going to happen. And yet, still, like watching it in the movie, I was like, "Oh my god, no!" Yeah. So the next one on the list, uh, I could probably go on for an hour just about this movie by itself. Was uh, Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. This movie did an amazing thing, which I wasn't didn't think was possible. Where it made me, it, w- it was a worse film than Jurassic World. An astonishing accomplishment. Like, because I saw like Age of Ultron and Jurassic World like back to back, and that was just like some of the most disappointing cinematic experiences I had. And I never thought I'm amazed that you walked back into a theater after that. <laughs> and I never thought. Like, that would be topped, but not only did I watch Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom in theaters, but I saw that on the same day as Solo, a Star Wars story. And I think that was a worse back-to-back combo than Age of Ultron and, and the first Jurassic World. Yeah, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, it's a giant mess. It's a hot mess. And uh, I can't wait to go more in-depth when we uh, discuss this uh, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, my my quickie review for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom would be insert fart noise. (laughs) But yeah, a big giant wet fart. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. (laughs) So saving the best, the very best for last, uh, in my personal opinion, uh, Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Good Lord. Can I be con? Can I be contrary for a second? Oh, worst movie of the year. No, I'm fucking no, <laughs> no, no, no way. Nobody could possibly have that opinion. So, um, so this was what I was kind of talking about when I was um, talking about. I think if you didn't have the big giant Marvel machine, that this is kind of what they could have something they could have done with Black Panther is something along you know obviously can't do the same story, but like being able to flex your creative your creative muscle when creating a film like they did with Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. It's really not like any other superhero comic book movie that I've seen. I would, I would say that it's probably easily in the top five all time comic book movies that I've seen. Like I would put it up there easily with um, like Logan and any other comic book movies that transcend the genre of comic book movie because even ones that I do enjoy like Infinity War like that's a good comic book movie but I feel like Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse like it's it it transcends that it's just that. a good movie yeah also I'm gonna go out on a limb here uh, in what is slowly becoming the popular opinion uh, best Spider-Man movie uh I mean, just by the transitive properties of of like being in the top five, I would I would say probably I think I mean Homecoming comes really close, 
um for me like i don't i'm not a big sam raimi person like his his filmmaking style doesn't appeal to me at all so i think there's a there's a big gap between homecoming and the rest of the spider-man movies yeah i would definitely say like spider-verse and then homecoming for me are like the top two i know everybody talks about how spider-man 2 is like the best superhero movie ever made i do not agree with that opinion feel free to at me (laughs) yeah i would i haven't seen it in a long time but i feel like there's just enough of that weird sam raimi stuff that he does with his movies that it just kind of like bumps it out for me personally but um yeah i just i just rewatched it this weekend for a second time and I I don't know if there's any any part of this that I would have a a negative critique of. I mean, all of the all the performances just hit it out of the park um with two comedic performances in particular that I think are some of the some of the best written and performed characters in a superhero movie. Um for me John Mulaney and, and Nicolas Cage, they just absolutely nailed the like, a, the timing and the humor. A, yeah. At a time when it is so easy to just hate Nicolas Cage because he is just a complete shadow and joke of whatever he was back in the like the, late 80s, early 90s kind of era of his career. Like, holy shit, does he redeem himself with this? Yeah. And I think... As a as an introduction into onto the big screen, I think I don't think John Mulaney could have done a better job of selling this completely ridiculous character in a world that he shouldn't fit in, but he's able to sell it in a way that you don't even think twice about about him being there. And yeah, probably the best introduction of any character <laughs> in a in a movie, like when he come when he just walks on the screen. With his big giant wet hand, <laughs> <laughs> the music is, is really good, and like all the different themes that they do, as far as the score and the uh, like, the pop music that they add into it, I think both work very well um, in being a very specific genre and and time and place, but without dating it particularly poorly like you'll see a lot yeah this this movie has such an interesting thing for me so like uh i don't remember who's i was watching a video about spider-man movies and they were talking specifically about the soundtrack um i want to say i I think it was uh cosmonaut variety hour um but he was talking about like you know he's not like a big post malone guy and so having like post malone show up and it kind of took him out of it a little bit um I did not have that personally. And the, the stark contrast between, I think he brought it up in his video of like, what does, what does white Spider-Man's soundtrack look like? It looks like fucking Nickelback. Wasn't it train featuring Chad Kroger? Um, so in the first movie, it was, uh, Chad Kroger and some other dude did a song together, uh, for Spider-Man two, we got train. Okay. Doing a genre of music. I don't remember there being a big tie-in song yeah. for the third movie, though. Um, I feel like by the third movie, they were just like, you know what? Let's just not do a soundtrack. Let's just not 
we we completely sank the boat the first two times. Maybe we just don't do that anymore. Well, I think and so. <laughs> I think um, with the success of Batman Begins, but not having a, like a big hit pop song, like they realize they don't have to spend that money to sell their superhero movie. Yeah, because I I feel like it was around that time that you stopped seeing like big expensive music videos by shitty bands as a tie-in yeah but uh yeah the soundtrack to this movie uh i feel like is something that a lot of people don't talk about specifically with the score um because as a soundtrack like this this soundtrack is probably like my number one in context release music wise of this year but it's something that i will never listen to outside of this movie yeah um i don't really i'm i'm not a big like rap scene guy but in the context of this movie it is so effective and it works so well um but as far as score goes uh the most effective piece for me within the movie was um the prowlers theme because holy shit every time that comes on did every hair on my body stand on end yeah and the funny thing is, so I don't want to spoil it here because I don't know. I don't know how to say it without spoiling anything. But there is, <laughs> a, there's another. There's a similar theme between that one and Spider Man's. There's like a very similar kind of like, not necessarily inverted, but like they like flip it on its head, and then so like after there's like after a scene when they played the Spider-Man like theme again, I was like, Oh wow. There's like, you can like find similar, similar pieces. I think, uh, what really was effective about it to me was how it, it kind of, uh, harkened back to, um, the, the Joker's theme from the dark Knight. Yeah. Where it was that very elongated electric guitar, like notes. Um, that just sat and built and just like, there's so much pressure behind it and so much like intensity in it that it is, you, you feel the danger of it. Uh, and it is such an effective thing that like not a lot of movies will do for a character and without again, like trying to spoiler, spoil anything, but giving, that character, the most effective theme of all the villains to me was such a good move. Um, I also really like the framing device of, of how each character introduces themselves. I yeah. think those are all really fun. I also like the way that Jake Johnson's Peter Parker, like he's narrating what he's saying, but you're actually seeing what's actually happening. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of good jokes in there. Um, and then I think, I mean, at this point, I don't think how, I don't think there's going to be, there can be any more argument about which Chris is the best Chris, because I think, I mean, I don't think you're going to beat, uh, spider bells at any point. (laughs) I mean, that's like the fact that just that he would, he, he was able to do that or that he was, you know. I would agree to do that. I think speaks uh, speaks volumes about 
about like what he's the choices that he he makes i will that be one i had i had to look up who who that was like we got out of the theater and there was a couple just like oh shit i forgot to look at the credits to see who that was because like i just i couldn't i couldn't tell um and so like figuring out who he was and who uh at the very the very end of the movie the stinger who that was oh yeah also that's probably the best stinger that i've ever seen oh my god it's so good <laughs> i also i think this is probably the best aunt may that they've had on screen i like that she's kind of more of a badass than any of the spider-men yeah i mean you can't you can't go wrong with lily tomlin either yeah I think the the Catherine Hahn character is a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, that is something that I'm so glad that they kept hidden in all of the promotional materials. Yeah, they they did a lot. They did a good. They did a good job with not like giving away. Like they they gave like they they used a lot of like visual stuff, but they didn't like lay out all of the story beats from beginning to end, because like literally what the movie is about, I had no idea going into it mm-hmm. so i think that was i think that was really uh good marketing on on their part which is really bizarre to me that this is the same uh, company that released venom like two months earlier it just boggles the mind they, yeah so what what this what this tells me uh, is that there there is two different versions of sony and this very much shows that venom is what Sony thinks everyone wants and into the spider verse is what happens when Sony just gives creative control to the team of people actually working on the movie. Yeah. And now my big fear is that Sony is going to swoop in and just like try to take credit for everything. And then the sequel is literally going to be just them capitalizing on what they think people wanted. Well, part of the problem is that one of those two movies made a billion dollars and it wasn't the one that should have because Venom's made like $900 million and I don't know if anyone's gone to see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Like, I've not heard anything about that making money at all. Yeah. I think it's doing okay, but it needs to be doing way better than even if it's doing extremely well. It needs to do better. Yeah. Which is what... You know, to me, I would rather get, whether it's um, Sony or Fox with the X-Men franchise, I would rather get, like, four not great movies and one really great movie that kind of elevates the the genre rather than, like, ten movies that are just fine. Yeah. So, uh, worldwide right now, it is sitting at $302 Yeah, that's that's a real shame because yeah, it's gotten uh, one forty seven domestic and one fifty four foreign, which I I would like to I would have liked to have seen that doubled. Yeah, and usually you see Uh, that with especially with like animated films. They usually there isn't usually that same kind of cultural barrier. Yeah, that you see, but it might be not to get too into the weeds with race relation stuff, but I don't know if that, if the Asian markets are as big on certain pigments of people 
I guess I'll say as much as you're not sure if China cares about black Spider-Man. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's, if that's a consideration or not, which even domestically is that maybe something that's playing against this film because I'm as we've had two movies in 2018 that came out that gave that community a voice in a superhero movie. I feel like black Panther got, all of the like acclaim for it they kind of like suck the oxygen out of the room so my, my one the one complaint that i did have is that i do wish penny parker had been given more to do because i feel like she kind of got the shaft as far as not having a big character moment like everybody else did so um, not a, not a super effective character unfortunately yeah I think there were some good movies last year. I think the big problem with 2018 is that it had to follow 2017, which I think was a huge year for movies. Like when you look at the movies that came out in 2017, there's just there's so many just like monster films that came out that I think 2018 was going to have a hard time following it up. And I think Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is definitely the top not only was it the most fun i had but i think like the message it had the filmmaking talent that would went into it was the it just was the top movie overall definitely my favorite movie and probably arguably the arguably the best movie that came out last year yeah (sighs) all right (laughs) i think uh a three three hour long discussion is a good place to call it quits this time. But I think this is between all this, this is a good primer for like where our sensibilities are. So like going forward when we have discussions about things, you know, I want to give people kind of an idea where we're coming from because like the worst thing you can do is listen to a movie reviewer and have no idea what their baseline is. And then, yeah, I think there's going to be some movies coming out this year that we can uh that we're going to try to do some maybe actual reviews slash discussions i think probably detective pikachu is going to be one that we're both looking forward to i have so many mixed feels about that movie i mean the fact that they didn't get danny devito to play pikachu i think is is a is a missed opportunity but i don't find now we just got to live with pika pool yeah um so yeah i think there's there's some good uh good information here yeah i think that's where we're gonna end it for today anything you want to plug for uh social media or anything um yeah yeah uh you can find me on the social medias uh i'm on most places as uh trusty sea creatures uh which is my band um so you can find me on Instagram, search Trusty Sea Creatures. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, Trusty Sea Music. Uh, you can find the Trusty Sea Creatures page on uh, Facebook as well. Um, I'm the most active, I would say, on Instagram, just because I uh, sort of fancy myself as a uh, amateur photographer. So I 
like pictures. Um, but I also post the most about like what I'm doing music wise on there. Uh, if that's something anybody cares about, uh, I think that's about it for me. Social media wise, I have a Tumblr for some reason <laughs> in 2019. <sighs> to be fair, I didn't have it for the reason everybody else had Tumblr in 2017. That's fair. Uh, I just had it. I basically just had it because I thought it was another social media platform that people were going to be kind of like swapping to. Um, so I was like, oh, I guess I'll, I'll jump on that bandwagon. And then uh, immediately hated the interface of it and just never, never <laughs> log back onto it. But it's still linked to my Instagram. So every time I post something on there, I'll still just like put it out on my Tumblr. That makes sense. Um, yeah, uh, you can follow the Moist Boys podcast at Moist Boys Pod on Twitter. You can then search uh, Moist Boys Podcast on Facebook. Uh, we also, you can follow me at Collage Kids on Instagram and Twitter. I have a link to the Patreon on the Instagram account. I should probably go through and actually set some of these up so that we can actually turn these into something at some point. So, uh, yeah, uh, thank you, Jonathan, for uh, talking with to me for the last uh, 193 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we'll have a uh, lot more fun stuff coming up in the future. Uh, yeah. Oh, also, uh, go, go follow the YouTube channel. Oh, uh, yeah. Moist Boys Podcast on YouTube. Uh, if you're listening to this, it's probably on there. But uh, I will throw on the, the obligatory like, subscribe. Uh, Be sure to smash that like button and join the notification squad. Yeah, you got to hit the bell. Um, otherwise, you won't get alerted to uh, all of our fun stuff. So we'll have a lot of oh, quality lot, content. Uh, a, a type of quality, a quality of content is definitely what we're going for here all right uh, thank you for listening uh for however long i've clipped this into and uh we will uh talk to you guys later bye bye <laughs>